Summer is winding down, but the war between Russia and Ukraine hasn't showed any signs of slowing down. Now 559 days in. Joining us to discuss the latest is Andrew Rasoulis, fellow with the Canadian Global Affairs Institute and an expert in Eastern European affairs. Good morning to you, Andrew. Good morning to you, Andy. Well, uh, let's start with the latest that I was hearing in the past 12 hours or so that Russia has opened communication with North Korea. What can you tell us about this connection and these uh, conversations? Yeah, so that is the latest breaking news. Um, Shoigu, the Russian defense minister, was in North Korea a few weeks ago uh, having bilaterals and basically preparing the groundwork for this announcement. So what, what the Russians are doing is they're going back to the old Soviet days when they had relations with North Korea. After the Cold War, that dissipated. China became the main sort of ally of North Korea. But now the Russians can use North Korean uh, part, uh, weapons, and so and North Korea can use Russian technology for submarines and things like that. So it's a win-win for both those two. And the plan now is, or the, uh, the expected plan, is that the uh, North Korean leader will travel by armored train to Vladivostok in the eastern part of Russia sometime near the end of September. He doesn't fly. He only takes trains, like his father. So whether he goes to Moscow after that is probably not likely. But, yeah, so what they're trying to do is work out a, a mutual defense agreement uh, for arms for arms sales, uh, technology transfers, and military exercises that they'll do together. There's a plan, in fact, for naval exercises off the, off the coast, uh, somewhere in the Pacific between Russia and North Korea. Also, when it comes to Putin... Uh... The grain deal is something that has been in focus. What is the latest on the grain deal? So the meeting yesterday in Sochi uh, where the Turkish uh, President Erdogan was uh, meeting with Putin to discuss this uh, didn't go all that well in the sense that uh, there was some expectation there might be a deal uh, because he was actually going there. But the answer is no, there was no deal. Uh, Erdogan said that uh, the ideal could be coming soon but that he require or that they require some give on the Ukrainian part and, and the Western part on the sanctions relief for Russia. So that still is not, a, they haven't solved that problem, and therefore the grain deal remains in abeyance. It's not completely dead, but it's in abeyance. So that meeting didn't go all that well from that point of view, but the Turks and the Russians did agree to a number of bilateral economic deals. Also, news coming down over the past few days that Ukraine has replaced their defense minister. What's behind that change? Well, the, the, the official line is corruption. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think it could also be the fact that maybe they want to shake things up because the, the Ukrainian offensive is, is, is driving very slowly against the Russian position since June. But in terms of the known the statements that are expressed formally by the Ukrainian government, uh, there were, there's uh, been numerous uh, corruption scandals in the defense ministry over the last several months. And, and as the defense minister, he may not have had his fingers in the pot all the time, but as the minister, he's responsible for his, for his department. And there was a series of these things. He survived uh, a major problem about two months ago when his deputy uh, defense minister was fired for corruption. And now it's finally caught up to him. And the latest thing is about winter coats, that basically they, they bought winter coats from Turkey, and it was at three times the inflated price, so someone's pocketing money. Interesting times there. Speaking with Andrew Rasoulis, fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute and an expert in Eastern European affairs. Andrew, what do you anticipate that we'll be seeing 
with fall on the horizon when it comes to the intensity of the fighting? Well, right now, the, the, uh, both sides, the Ukrainians, are, are fighting their way through the first line of defense, uh, of the Russian defense, in the southern sector of the front. Uh, they have what, what we say penetrated, but they've not broken through. They're actually in the line in certain areas, fighting their way through. But then, of course, there's line two and line three thereafter. The Ukrainians are, at the end of the day, the Ukrainian aim is to try to break through to the Sea of Azov, cut the Russian land bridge. Whether they can accomplish that before the rains come in, let's say, late October, and basically the front kind of slogs and freezes up until 2024, remains to be seen. It's not likely that the Ukrainians will achieve that in 2023. The Russians, on the other hand, they're also pushing slowly, incrementally in the northern front um, against Kharkiv. They've made small advances, and they continue to make small advances. They're kind of trying to offset the Ukrainian advances in the south. So, Big picture, strategic stalemate with minor incursions on both sides. But I think we're looking into a war that goes right into 2024, and that raises all sorts of uh, interesting issues. Absolutely. Uh, this one I, I, I kind of found surprising. It seemed to, for, for me anyway, come out of nowhere. Cuba reporting that they've detected and are working on the neutralization, as they call it, and dismantling of a human trafficking network that operates and begins in Russia. What do we know about this? Well, I'm afraid I don't know much about that one, so I really can't comment on that. It's interesting, yeah, because you just think that this is the focus at this point and, and more coming out in, uh, from an ally uh, in Cuba. I want to bring it back uh, just briefly uh, to the fact that when you look at Russia and this potential uh, you know, meeting of the well, North Koreans and the uh, Russian mines, what does this tell us about the need for weapons and the need for technology by the once mighty Russian military? Yeah, so the Russians are producing their own, but they clearly need more. Uh, because uh, as, as the same as for Ukraine, the war is consuming lots of weapons, lots of ammunition. This is a very high-intensity war. And so as the, as the Ukrainians are depending on constant flows of weapons and, and ammunition from the West, Russia uh, needs to get uh, additional from what it can do. It has its own armaments industry, but it's not sufficient to meet the requirements. So, therefore, that's why they've sourced, like, drones and things from Iran. Uh, but now they're looking at uh, Korea because Korea, North Korea, has the same uh, caliber weapons as the Russians do. These are all based on the old Soviet system. So they work, they match. Like, uh, North Korean shells match uh, Russian artillery, for example. And that's, that's a real win-win for the Russians. So they're looking to actually beef up their supplies. Interesting time. Thank you so much for your time and the update this morning, Andrew. We really appreciate it. You're very welcome, Andy. Thanks. Andrew Rasoulis, fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute and an expert in Eastern European affairs.